My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 105. Hey folks, welcome to another edition of My Car Guru. I am in the driver's seat right now, getting ready to lay the law down. Yeah, I want you to know what your rights are and what your responsibilities are in certain cases when it comes to the law, when it comes to car dealers, whether they're new car dealers, used car dealers, repair shops. Uh, You have certain responsibilities as a citizen, as a consumer, to watch for certain things and to sign documents and read what you're signing. There's just so many people that don't read what they're signing. Somebody just sticks something in front of them. They say, sign here, okay. And they just sign it without really understanding what they're waiving in terms of their rights and so forth. The reason this came up is because I was reading a Tennessee Automobile Dealers Association. They are the lobbying group for car dealers in Tennessee. But I was reading about a case that happened up in, let's see, where was that? Massachusetts, of all places. So this dealership provided a courtesy vehicle to a customer while they were repairing the customer's vehicle. And so they go out, and they were in the city of Boston when this happened, which was part of the the agreement that they actually signed was that they would not be charged because the car was in the shop. Uh, They would be responsible for any third-party claims arising from their use of of the courtesy vehicle. They, let's see, they had to limit their operation to within 100 miles of the dealership, and that the guy driving it, the guy that owned the car that was in the shop, was the only person authorized to drive the vehicle. Well, what happened? Well, they went to Boston, nice town, but they weren't supposed to go there. That's more than 100 miles away from where the dealership was. So while they're in Boston, he leaves the courtesy vehicle illegally parked with the key in the ignition and the engine running as he conducted an errand. His then-wife noticed the emphasis on then, who did not have a driver's license, was not authorized to drive the courtesy vehicle. She remained in the vehicle. Well, a parking enforcement officer asked the woman to move the vehicle. Well, she moved into the driver's seat and she pressed the start button, which caused the vehicle to roll forward through a traffic light and strike another woman. Well, the injured woman and her husband sued. Who did they sue? They sued the dealership. Well, they also sued the customer's wife for negligence and uh, the customer for negligent entrustment. Now, so, uh, but they they did sue the dealership. and, And so what happened? Well, the trial court granted summary judgment in favor of the dealership and the individual. The plaintiffs appealed. The plaintiffs are the people who got run over. The plaintiffs argued that the dealership is the owner of the courtesy vehicle at the time of the accident was vicariously liable for the customer's wife's negligent conduct. Isn't that funny how everybody wants to blame somebody else? They're going to go after wherever they think the deepest pockets are, right? Well, they lost, so they appealed, went to the Supreme Court of Massachusetts, and the Supreme Court disagreed with the people who got run over under a federal statute called the Graves Amendment, which basically extends protection to the owners of vehicles that rent and lease vehicles or in the business or trade of renting and leasing vehicles. 
wait a minute, I thought this was a loaner car. Well, it was a loaner car, but the high court concluded that even though the dealership did not charge the customer for the courtesy vehicle, it nonetheless received consideration, which is money, for the vehicle in the form of acquiring the opportunity to work on the vehicle. It's one of the main reasons that we get people that we loan cars to to sign a rental-slash-loaner agreement. So if they go out on the road and have an accident and total somebody else's car, they're not only liable for the car that they totaled, but for our car. And also, if there's bodily injury involved, they're liable for that too, and we are not. Is that being selfish? I don't think so. I think most people ought to be responsible for that, but that's that's what happens. I mean, any time that there's an opportunity to name as many people as possible in a lawsuit, you lawyers out there, you agree with me, don't you? You know. I know what you do. Uh, you like to include as many people as possible because it might stick. Many times the judge throws it out, which they should, but you may have a judge who is maybe not paying attention that day or, you know, he doesn't like car dealers either, so you never know. But as a consumer, you really ought to read stuff that you're signing. You wouldn't think you would need to read a repair order, but if your vehicle has to stay at a dealership for a long time, and let's say that you just forget it's there. Yeah, it happens. You know, people have other cars to drive. And so they take their vehicle in and it takes a long time to get the parts or whatever, and they just leave it there. They just say, well, I'm not going to go get it, or I'm just going to leave it. And the dealership, in turn, has put a lot of money in that car. They've installed parts. You know, they've got a lot of labor tied up in that. Now, they've already paid the technician. They paid for the parts that they purchased, either from the manufacturer or they or from the um, you know, the par- aftermarket parts store. And so they have money tied up. Well, they want their money. And you can't get the customer to come pick up the car. You know what they can do? They can put a lien on that car. It's called a mechanic's lien. What that means is they can go to the courthouse. They can fill out a form. I think you can do them online now. And uh, put, actually put a lien, just like a bank would have a lien on the car, That whereas if you didn't make the payments, then they could come repo the car. Well, if you leave the car there long enough and we tell you that if you don't act pretty soon, we're going to put a mechanics lien on this car, and then we do, and we enforce that lien, that means that we can sell your car and you're out. It doesn't matter if you have the title. It doesn't matter if you have money borrowed against that car. Our lien takes precedence over even the bank's lien. So we sell your collateral and the bank says, hey, Where's the car? You haven't made any payments. Well, the dealership took it. Well, they can come at, they can't come after the dealership, but they can come after you. So th- this is something that you need to know. Now granted, the dealership can only keep the amount of money that they are owed. So let's say that that your bill was $1500 and your car ends up they end up selling your car for $6000, then they owe you the difference unless you have a lien on the car with the bank and they would owe the bank the difference. So if that's not enough to pay off the car, then you're on the hook for the balance. It's not a good scenario, you know, for the car owner. But we will typically have four or five cars a year in our shop. Now, we write probably 50 to 70 repair orders a day. So four or five cars in a year is not that much. But we will have that many vehicles that are abandoned to us that we end up putting a mechanics lien on and selling. I know, I don't understand it either, but some people just are irresponsible. Okay, let's take a breather, and I'll be back in just one minute. Because this is such a litigious society, 
That's where people sue each other a lot. People like to go to court over a lot of things. I had a guy one time that was driving a hit pretty nice SS Monte Carlo. This was some time ago. Had low miles, and he was a regular customer of ours. And he'd probably been to the dealership 25, 30 times since he'd bought the vehicle, getting oil changes and everything. Just to, you know, He was properly maintaining his car. One day he decided to park in the parking place and go in to buy something. I don't remember what it was. Something from the parts department. Got out, backed up, and, and ran smack into a pole, one of our light poles at the dealership. He came inside, and he said, I need you, Lenny, I need you to uh, do something about my car. I said, what happened? He said, well, I was backing out of the parking place, and I ran into one of your light poles. Which one? We went out there and looked at it. The car was just about, I mean, the pole was just about surrounded by cars. It's painted yellow. It's a huge pole. And he had to go across two lanes and into our parking area to hit that pole. I don't know whether his foot slipped off the brake pedal or whatever. But anyway, he said, I need you to pay for that. And I said, what? I'm sorry that it happened. And I'll help you as far as in my body shop and everything, but I don't think I'm responsible for for that. Oh, you're responsible. Well, we agreed to disagree. About 60 days later, I get a summons. He's suing me. So uh, I had to go to court. I said, okay, I'm not settling on this one. I'm going to court. And I I took my lawyer with me and explained it to my lawyer. And he said, okay, we'll have fun with this. So we went to Sessions Court here in Greenville, Tennessee. And the guy showed up and we started the case and he presented his case. And I could tell just by looking at the judge, the judge had kind of a grin on his face the whole time. And then he looked at my lawyer and he says, well, what do you all have to say? And my lawyer did such a beautiful job without totally humiliating the guy Um, He just handled it wisely, and so the judge said, Sir, that's not the dealership's fault. I see the pictures. I see what it did to your car. That was your fault. You know, if you'd been at a state park or if you'd been at Walmart and backed into a pole, would you go into Walmart and sue them? Probably not. Um, You know, if at a state park, you know, if they had some bollards or something you ran into and backed into it, would you sue the state? No. Okay, well... We're going to throw this out. You know, after that was all over, he came outside and said, Well, Lanny, am I still going to be able to come and buy stuff from you? And I said, Well, sure. I wish you hadn't put me through all of this, but yeah, we're still friends, I guess. Well, I tell you that long story because that's one of the reasons why dealers have consumers sign so many things. And when you're at the dealership, you've got to watch out for Well, just making sure that you're not signing away your rights. Now, there's this one thing that happens at a lot of dealerships. We don't do it, but there is an arbitration agreement that's built into a lot of the paperwork that car dealers have their customers sign. What's that? Well, that's where that if something happens, for example, you buy a used car, and you didn't bother to check the car facts, and the dealership just didn't really bother to tell you, that it had been wrecked, the airbags had gone off, and you know it had all kinds of issues, or it had a reconstructed title. It could be any of number of things. And if they didn't cooperate and behave and do some, you know, try to do the right thing, which they shouldn't have sold the car anyway, but if they did, they would uh, make some type of adjustment, either give you money, you know, to help offset the difference, or trade you out of that car, or even buy it back. 
But no, they didn't, didn't do that, so you decided to sue them. Uh-uh, you can't sue them. How come? Because you signed an arbitration agreement, which means that you have agreed to third-party arbitration by an independent agency, not a court of law. You can't sue them. So I'm not going to sign that. You know, if I'm going to a dealership and they want me to sign arbitration, nah. You know, you need to, to look at that documentation. Now, that finance manager that works in the finance office, he's shoving a bunch of papers in front of your face just as fast as he can. Some of them are totally legit. You know, it might be for, well, you're going to sign the bank contract. You're going to sign mileage statements and the extended warranty, the back of the title, maybe a power of attorney so that they can go to the courthouse and sign your name to register the vehicle if you financed it. That's a normal thing to do. But what else have they slid in there? What if they slid something in there like a finance product that you bought that you didn't know anything about? What's this? Oh, that's the um, that's that special paint protection stuff that you agreed about. I agreed about that. I don't know anything about paint protection. Nobody said anything to me about paint protection. Oh, okay, sorry. So he pulls that out and he has to drop $795 off the price because you didn't know you were buying it. Oh, gosh, this gets so many people, and it really just frustrates the heck out of me because there are dealerships that will assume that you want things. The actual nickname for that is called payment packing, and that's where the customer is not paying attention, and they forget about you know, what the purchase price of the car is and their trade difference and down payment and the term and the interest rate and stuff like that. And, and all they think about is, yeah, I can afford five fifty a month. When you could actually bought it for 400 a month, that extra 150 that's a bunch of stuff that they, that they filled in at the end. So you bought a service contract or an extended warranty. You didn't know anything about it. You bought gap insurance. You didn't know anything about that. You bought uh, some paint protection and undercoating and a bunch of other stuff. You don't know anything about any of that until you get into the finance office and the finance guy says, congratulations, look at all this extra stuff that you get with this deal. And he makes you think that it's all included in the price. Sometimes they indicate that it's free, but it's not. It's included in that 550 payment and you're paying for it. You're paying $150 a month for 84 months for something. Do the math on that. I'll do it for you. That's $12,600 extra that you paid them for stuff that you didn't even know you were getting. And you probably you really didn't even want it or need it. That's called payment packing. And it happens every day in certain car dealerships. But if the customers aren't paying attention, I tell you what, the wrong people sometimes are listening to this radio show. It's the trusting gullible ones that should be listening and paying attention because those are the ones that get burned. What are your rights after that? Can you sue the dealership for fraud? Well, I guess you could if you could prove it. But here's the problem. You signed all the documents stating that you wanted all that extra stuff. Well, I didn't know anything about it. Well, how come you signed it then? You know, the attorney could argue on the other side. And the judge, Mr. Johnson, why did you sign all this stuff if you didn't want it? Do you not read what you sign? No, sir. Lesson learned. Case dismissed. I've said many times on this radio show to uh, read your paperwork when you get home. 
you know, let the excitement die down. You're all excited about your car and everything, but read the paperwork, read what you signed. And if you bought something that you didn't know anything about, go the next day. If you bought it on Saturday and they're closed on Sunday, go on Monday. Be there when they unlock the door and you say, folks, listen, I just, I'd rather have a lower payment. I really don't want all this stuff because they haven't had enough time to send in the contract to the bank. They haven't had enough time to submit the warranty agreement and the gap insurance and all that. So you're good. If they tell you that, oh, we've already submitted all that, you have to buy it. You don't have to. They'll let you out of it if you put up enough of a fuss. Uh, you can call me, and I'll coach you through it. But let's just avoid all that. Read the paperwork. Okay, I'm going to take my last break. I'll be back here in just a minute. If you are a regular listener to this radio show, I do apologize for talking about this every couple of weeks or so. But I'm the reason I do it is because it involves so much money. You know, it's not like somebody losing a quarter on the sidewalk. We're talking thousands of dollars that are being stolen out of your pocket, and you don't even realize it. And the sad thing is there are loopholes that some of these dealers have been able to I guess, recognize, and they cover their tracks so well by getting you to sign it. So what am I buying? Let's talk about it. You know, when you get into the finance office and that guy's sitting across from you and say, okay, well, congratulations, your payment's five fifty a month. Say, okay, tell me everything that's included in that monthly payment. Is that just the car and the taxes and tags and so forth? Oh, no. No, this, this includes a six-year, million-mile warranty, uh, gap insurance that, that will pay off the vehicle if, uh, you know, you're involved in an accident and the insurance company doesn't pay an off for your car. It'll pay off the rest of the balance on your car. And also, uh, you've got paint sealant, Fabri-Tac. I'm sorry, but I didn't buy any of that stuff. Nobody told me anything. I thought the 550 a month was just for the car. Oh, no, no. Well, tell me what the payment would be without any of that stuff. And then let's talk about each of those individual things. And I'll make a decision whether I really want to buy them or not. Fair enough. And then that finance manager will start squirming. Here's how it's supposed to happen. So when you buy the car, uh, the payment is maybe within $10 of what the final payment would be if you just bought the car. You know, the car minus your trade leaves the trading difference, and then you add back your payoff deficiency, you know, how much negative equity you have. That goes back onto the loan and then sales tax and so forth, and then that's what the payment should be based on. You go into the finance office, and you meet that nice guy, and what he does is he presents you, he congratulates you on the car and everything, but then he presents you with the other products that you can buy, like an extended warranty. You know, maybe you keep a car for 10 years, and cars are expensive to repair, so Buying an extended warranty at a reasonable price, pretty good idea, uh, especially as expensive as repairs can be. Gap insurance may be great for you. Let's say you're, you're $10,000 upside down. If you had an accident, you're going to have to come up with $10,000. Out of your pocket, your insurance company will only pay off the value of the car. They will not pay off your negative equity. So gap insurance makes sense. But if you have no negative equity and you know, you're paying 5000 down, you don't need gap insurance. But that crook that, you, that the other dealership, 
had it loaded into your contract and, and you signed it and then you went home and you bought gap insurance that you didn't need to buy. You know, the paint protection and all that stuff, that's great. I mean, if you've got kids and you worry about stains on the seats and so forth and uh, or you're going to be using it on the farm or, you know, you want to be able to, to have wheel and tire protection, you know, that's a, not a bad thing to buy also because of the way these low-profile tires and the way the wheels are pushed out so far, I mean, the wheels are actually exposed more than the tire is. So when you go around a, go into a bank drive through it's really easy to damage a $1,500 wheel. Well, wheel and tire protection will pay for a new wheel. But all of this stuff, even prepaid maintenance, great idea if you don't forget to use it. But prepaid maintenance is a great way to, to lock in current oil prices and filter prices and stuff. You never have to pay more. If oil goes up, your oil changes are already paid for for the next three years or, or um, five years. Is that a good value? Could be. I mean, if that fits your lifestyle. But goodness gracious, shouldn't that be your decision? It's not the decision of the guy working at the, the sales tower, the sales manager who put all that stuff in there to dictate what you should buy or shouldn't buy. That's up to you when you get into the finance office. So you got the good way of doing it, or, or I'm sorry, you got the bad way of doing it, and then you have the right way of doing it. And you know, if you get into that situation and you're, you're, you find yourself trying to figure out what's going on, you get a little suspicious, you know, you get that gut feeling. It might be time to leave the dealership. You can be nice, say, folks, I think we're going to go home and think about it. What do you want to think about? Well, I just want to think about it. If you want to print out all the paperwork and let me look at it, I'll take it home and study it. Well, the car might be sold. That's okay. You can get me another one. I'm not buying today. Uh, no hard feelings. And then you leave. That's the best thing you can do. Rather than spend thousands and thousands too much and making a big mistake. So just, you know, have your guard up. Read the paperwork. Understand what your rights are. I don't care if you're renting a car, getting a car loaner. You know, the paperwork that you signed, the, the car that you're looking at. Make sure you see the Carfax. Uh, make sure you're not buying a car that the airbags have deployed on. That's a bad wreck, usually. You know, so many things that can happen to car buyers. And that's what this radio show is all about, helping you avoid those things before they happen. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru. Give me a call. 423-552-2020, or send me an email to LennyLawson2020 at gmail.com. And thanks again. I'll see you next time on the next edition of My Car Guru.